Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Let's pray, and Johnny's going to come up and share the word with us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you, you speak to us, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, that it is true and that Lord, it is effective, and it is at work, Lord, in our hearts, Lord. And we pray that as we hear it this morning, Lord, we would be, your spirit would, would write it on our hearts, Lord, and we would respond to it, Lord, that we would be stirred, Lord, to faith, Lord, stirred to obedience, Lord, and that we would lift our eyes to you, Lord, the awesome God who rule and reigns on high. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Brian. If you want to turn with me over to 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we are continuing on in a series and talking and looking at how we care for one another as God's people. And ironically, I was on the phone yesterday with somebody and we were talking through just the, the opportunity that God had given this individual to to do something a little bit more uh, challenging, it's stressful, it's a lot of work, but we f- felt like the Lord, this is the Lord opening the door for this. And in the midst of that, he was met with just all kinds of just opposition. Just, uh, you know, I just can't, there's a million excuses why it wasn't going to work. And so I'm working, as, as we're talking about this, I said, look, every time that we are going to to walk in obedience to the Lord. Every time we're going we're to take steps of faith and doing what God, we believe God has called us to do, there is going to be some sort of opposition to that. We have a real enemy who does not desire for us to walk in obedience to God and will try to thwart any opportunity that we have to follow the Lord. And I said in this, in some ways, it's maybe even proof that you are walking in obedience to the Lord, that you are meeting opposition where you go. Now, I said, so this is an opportunity to really press into God and seek the Lord and find his, his strength and his power in the middle of, of what God's calling you to do. So I had, had that little talk with him yesterday, and this morning I had a, a Michelle has just an incredible testimony that she was going to share this morning. And about 4 o'clock this morning, uh, one of our kids wakes up throwing up, just sick, and... Um, not the one, not any of them that I brought here this morning, just so you know. He's actually at home. Uh, so Michelle had to stay home with him. And as I'm driving to church, I thought, Lord, this is the opportunity that you've given me to really press into you and do the very things I was telling this guy to do. I mean, you're, you're working in that now. So this morning, uh, I wanted to open up with just a couple things. And, um, and so Michelle's not here to share a testimony. I don't want to take that testimony from her. And maybe she'll share that with us at some point. But my heart for us as a church, and as we look into the way in which God has so designed, has so perfectly designed his people, his body, his church to care for one another, my heart for us is that we would be that kind of place, that we would be able to find the, the hope and the life and the care and the comfort from one another that God has designed for us to walk into. 
there is a real calling. There is an identity that God has given to each one of us. When we came to Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in him, that he so trans, so thoroughly transformed us, that we are a new creation, that he's, he's recreated us, not just to be people who relate to him, but to be people who relate to one another. There is a new identity that he's given us as brothers and sisters in God's family, that he supernaturally gives us the, the desires and the strengths to walk that out in care and comfort and, 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 and help of one another. And my heart for this church, my heart for us, my heart for me in my own life is that we would be the people of God who would walk that identity out in, in every aspect of our lives because this is what God has made us to be. This is, what, this is a blood-bought reality that, comes from, that flows from Calvary, that flows from the cross, that Jesus Christ has transformed us and made us to be that. So my heart for us is that we would know that comfort that comes from one another and that we'd know the comfort that comes from God. Because as much as, as we sometimes fail one another, sometimes the, the church isn't that place of healing and in and, and and, and place of, of, of wholeness. Sometimes we get hurt by one another the reality is that God never fails us, that God never backs away, God never pulls back, God never gets disgusted with us and kind of shoes us off, that we can know that comfort from God as well. And so my heart, as we look into these scriptures today, my heart for us is that we would experience that kind of care from one another and that kind of love from the Father who loves us so deeply that he sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins. So we're going to, that's where we're going to start this morning. I just want to, uh, we're just going to pray together as we launch into this, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us. So Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of relationship. God, the precious gift of relationship with you and the precious gift of relationship with one another. Lord, we don't want to take that too lightly or look at it as just some kind of nice bonus on a busy life. God, we recognize that this has been your design all along. Lord, that we would relate to you and relate to one another in a way that declares to the world that we belong to you. God, that you are in our midst, that you are living. God, you're not a distant God, but you're up close and personal. So Lord, we pray for that this morning. God, we ask that you would help us to walk forth in what you've called us to be, what you've, what you've empowered us to be. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to hear your voice speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the areas of care for one another that I believe often gets overlooked is an area called mental illness. And mental illness is, by definition, this is the medical definition, it's a medical illness based in the brain, a physical dysfunction of the brain that causes the inability to think or feel or act in a, pers- in a person's normal behavior. It affects feelings actions and behavior it's not a matter of choice or willpower that's the 
the kind of the clinical definition of mental illness. Now, a couple of st statistics about mental illness. And this is what, as I looked at these, it really blew me away to see the prevalence of mental illness. And, and so the first thing, I don't know if we've got the slides for this or not, but 46% um, of people will experience some form of mental illness in their lifetime. 46% of people. The severity of depression can range from feeling down to a dysfunction of the brain, inhibiting one's ability to concentrate, make decisions, or follow through on plans that have been made. Depression is the number one cause of disability worldwide, more than back injuries or any other disease. 15 to 20% of women experience postpartum depression, and 85 of those women never seek professional help. Almost 100% of suicides are due to mental illness. 46% of people at some point in their lifetime will experience mental illness. If that's not you, then it's the person sitting next to you. And so there's, there's a huge spectrum of severity that comes with mental illness. From the not feeling like getting out of bed to the, the crippling, I, I can't get out of bed. I, there's no way I can, I can leave the house. There's a huge spectrum of, of mental illness. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at where our trouble comes from. Then we're going to open God's scripture together and see God, what God has to say in regards to care for one another in this. Okay? So where does our trouble come from? Where does trouble come from? Number one, our trouble comes from the fall. Genesis chapter 3. We've talked about this in the past. There's... There's a relationship that, that Adam and Eve have between each other. There's also a relationship that Adam and Eve have with God. And at the fall, Adam and Eve chose willingly to disobey and disregard God's commands, God's perfect laws, and strike out on their own. And they came with a huge consequence that things were broken. Their, Adam and Eve's relationship was broken. Their relationship with God was broken, but... Even more so than that, all of creation is broken. Think about a garden that you plant, right? I don't know if many of you have tried to plant a garden before. If you leave that garden alone for more than a week, there's weeds, there's all kinds of stuff going on. It just doesn't work. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. But that's the way that it is. And it all goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Things are broken. Not only is creation broken, but everything is broken. I was talking to a friend this week. He said he had a water pipe in his wall that broke. He had water coming through in his basement, went down a couple stories in their house, and just ruined a bunch of stuff. That's not the way it's supposed to be. How often does that happen in our lives, though? Just stuff breaks all the time. It just doesn't work. Sometimes our relationships can be like that garden. We're just left unattended for a little bit, man. It just gets really difficult, doesn't it? So there's the fall, but also it comes from myself. Galatians chapter 6 talks about restoring a brother who's been caught in a transgression or caught in sin. So trouble comes from myself because in, in my own sin, I'm busted. I'm in trouble. Someone who robs a bank... If they get caught, they go to jail. 
Those two guys that escaped a maximum security prison in New York this past week or two weeks ago, when they're caught, they're going to be in big trouble, okay? They're busted. I mean, they're on them. They're caught. They escaped. They knew what they were doing. They're in trouble. Trouble comes from, from their own sin. But also, trouble in myself comes from... Man, there's times when we get places we don't know where we're at. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It comes with like, it comes, could be in the form of addictions where we think that we have, that we are in control, but we don't realize that we're not in control until it's too late. Then we realize we're not in control anymore. It's controlling me. Or a relationship that you can't escape from. You think, how did I get here? There was a time that Michelle and I had a couple over, they don't go to this church, had a couple over to our home, and we're having dinner together, and in the middle of dinner, we weren't really talking about anything in particular that was controversial or, or, or you know, just tense, and this guy begins just to yell at us, and he's yelling across the table at Michelle and I, and we're just sitting there eating, and we're like, what is going on here? Why is this guy yelling at the top of his lungs at us? Why is he so angry and his... his his fists are clenched, and, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, how did I get here? What, what happened? Even after, after they left, we looked at each other and thought, why were they so angry? Why was this guy so angry? Just, how did we get here? It was just, it was confused. So that's, trouble comes from that as well. Number three, trouble also comes from someone else causing us trouble. There's a bully at school. There's a boss who has it in for us. There's generational trouble that as, as, as mom and dad or as, as family, as there's dysfunction and brokenness in a family, it really, as, as we see this and experience this in our own lives, we think that is the new normal or that's how things work, and so we pass that on to our kids as well. And lastly, we have an enemy. It's, it's the devil. There is a real enemy. It's a demonic trouble. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There is a real trouble. I remember talking to this kid when I was in junior high who was telling me how he had been experiencing nightmares, like terrible nightmares for six months. And it all started when he began playing with the Ouija board. And you think it's... To him, it wasn't that big of a deal then. Six months later, after he hasn't been able to sleep, and his nightmares every single night, that was a big deal. There is a real enemy who's out to destroy and hurt. Now, here's what is, here's what is difficult about these things. The fall, myself, someone else causing us trouble, the demonic. Our troubles are usually not just one of these things. It's usually a degree of maybe all of these things. I mean, there's a complexity to this. There, there is something to this that it's, it's just not this easy thing to define and, and, and just, okay, well, that's your issue, that's your problem, nope, let, let's move on, here's what you need to do. There's a real complexity to this. Because even for my friend who was playing with the Ouija board, knowing that, hey, you're, you're opening the door to some stuff, man, that's not good, it's, it's demonic stuff, but part of that, too, he's, he's, he's dabbling in his own sin, right? It was a sin for him to play with the Ouija board. 
I mean, he's, he's opening doors, but I mean, there's, there's an interplay then of his own sin, his own trouble, coupling with the demonic force coming against him. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on in that. It's, there's a complexity to this. And so that's why sometimes it gets so hard when we begin to talk about things like depression, anxiety, panic attacks. There's a spectrum of severity. And you might be someone who's experiencing this kind of distress, or you might be someone who's, who's next to somebody in, in relationship and family who's experiencing this themselves. And so there's a complexity to this that it's, it's not easy to define quickly, to somehow just get to the bottom right away and just say, okay, here's your issue. There's a complexity to this. And as church... We want to be the people of God, and we want to be a leadership of this church who begins to explore, what does this mean for us to care for one another in the midst of this complex situation that people are in? And we're all in this mess together. We're all in this. This is what we're experiencing. But here's a promise for us. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. And for us, that is the hope that we have in God. Because in the midst of all of our troubles, in the midst of all of our distress, we have an almighty God who's made provision for us that he says, look, I am not going to love you from a distance. I'm going to love you up close. See this understanding of, of the complexity of issues and the, the degree of mental illness that we experience on different levels isn't anything that's new to the Bible. Think about 1 Kings 18 with, with Elijah. The prophet Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. So Elijah's going to challenge the prophets of Baal. And they were the prophets that were kind of the the um, religion of choice in Israel at the time. And so they're going to they're gonna challenge each other on the mountaintop. If you remember this, they build two altars to, to worship, one to worship Baal, one to worship the Lord. And the, the God who rains fire down on the altar is the, the true, real God. And the other one's non-existent or doesn't care. And so the prophets of Baal go first, they pray to Baal, nothing happens. Elijah dumps a ton of water on this altar, prays to God Almighty, fire comes down from heaven, consumes the, completely consumes the water and the, and the sacrifice and everything around it. Everyone says, well, clearly God is the Lord, right? And then they say, well, Elijah then says, look, these prophets are false prophets. We need to execute them on the spot. And so they execute all the prophets of Baal. They cleanse out Israel and then what happens to Elijah? Man, he runs for his life because he knows the queen is going to be a little upset about the fact that all of her prophets are dead and God showed up in power. So what does Elijah do? He runs, finds a cave, and he hides. I mean, he is terrified. He's afraid for his life. And you can just see him in this cave after experiencing the, the, the great and mighty deliverance of God, the power of God, the, the very testimony of God's 
goodness and his, his saving power and his, his ability to deliver and do all these things. And now here he is in a cave, probably in the fetal position, rocking back and forth, wondering what just took place. There's a sense of isolation and hopelessness, despair, paralyzing fear. And as God comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing, Elijah? He says, even I only am left. Man, there's no, there's no testimony about you, Lord, in this place except for me. And I'm the only one who's left. And now they're out for my blood. What does God do? God speaks into the darkness and into the isolation. And he brings hope to Elijah in a powerful way, a powerful demonstration. I encourage you to read it. God says, look, man, you're not alone. I've saved 7,000 others who've never bowed their knee to Baal. On top of that, check this out. He does some amazing things, and God speaks in the midst of these powerful encounters that he has. But what I love about this story is that God speaks into Elijah's darkness and into his mess and into his brokenness. God shows up. He meets Elijah right where he's at in this cave, in the darkness. He didn't say, look, get down to the temple, make sure you, you know, do some sacrifices and I'll meet with you there. He meets with Elijah in this distant cave that he's hiding out in because he's terrified for his very life. God speaks into the darkness. I read this yesterday. Or I should say, I read this Friday, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, for our sake... For our sake, he made him, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that was for our sake. In the brokenness of our lives, in our sin and our rebellion, God shows up. He's not distant. He's not far. I will, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. And this is what we started our series off with two weeks ago. I think these are such precious verses for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now this word for comfort, as we talked about two weeks ago, this word for comfort is this word to be with, to be with to help. It's not just some vague kind of, hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. A little pat on the back, a little send on the way. No, this word means to be with, to be with to help. And that is the way that God comforts his children. He is with them to help. He is with them in person to care for them and love them and, and walk with them. And he says, in this way God cares for us, he is now calling us in the same way to care and love for one another to be with, to help. He's drawing us near, but he's also drawing us near to each other. Not just drawing us near to himself, which he is doing, he's also calling us to be near to each other. 
this verse talks about proximity and connection. There's a proximity that has to take place in order for, there has to be a, a nearness in order for this verse to be lived out. In order for us to walk in obedience to this verse, there's got to be a, a connection, there's got to be a closeness that you and I experience. We can't, we can't live this verse out from a distance, nor can we even live this verse out just on a Sunday morning. This has got to take place outside of, and it, it's bigger than, and it encompasses all of life. It's not just a Sunday morning experience. God's calling us to walk this out with all of life because we can't live this out. This can't possibly take place. Can you imagine if God said, look, I'm the God of all comfort. I will be with you from, from 9.30 to 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. That's the extent of my care for you. We think, man, that's not, that's not good news to me. In the same way, he's calling you and I to live this out bigger than just a Sunday morning experience. This is an all-of-life call. So what does the Bible tell us to do practically? And I appreciate Steve sharing the word with us last week. And he touched on these verses, and I want to just go back to them and read them through and really focus in on the last couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 to 26. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church, describing the church as the very body of, of Jesus Christ. And the connection that we have not only to the Lord, to Jesus Christ as our head, but to one another as brother and sister. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that they may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. There is no mistake that you are part of God's body. There's no mistake in that. God has or sovereignly, carefully placed you right where you are. If one suffers, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. All suffer together, all rejoice together, all. Not part, not a few, all. Man, this, this isn't just some of the church or just your small group or just the people that you hang out with or the people you're on your ministry team with. This is everybody. And the aspect of this that I love, again, is staying, we have to stay connected in order to live this out. There's got to be a connection here with one another in order to live this out, to be with. See, my natural inclination is to define, diagnose, and prescribe what needs to happen to happen for people who are suffering. People who are in distress, people who are troubled, 
It's so much easier for me just to define and diagnose, and okay, here's what you got going on, here's how you fix it, okay, next, right? It's like the guy who's in the parking lot of Jewel asking for money. It's just easier for me to give him a dollar or the change I have in my pocket, more like it. It's easier for me to do that than it would be for me to say, hey, you're hungry, let's go inside and get you something to eat. And maybe I'll sit down with you, maybe I'll have you... It's just easier to do that because then he leaves me alone. I don't got to deal with his mess. But that's not what this, this word is taught. That's not what this scripture is talking to us about. It's talking about a deeper connection, this kind of prescribing, okay, here's your dollar, here's what you need, okay, leave me alone, let's move on. It's so much more than that. Then staying connected with people Here's what this means. Staying connected with people in their distress means loving them on their terms and at their pace. And this is what I find hard to do. Because I want to love people in the way that I think they should be loved. And for them, that may not be loving. I went over to someone's house. They had called in sick that day. And they were, so I knew they were home car was in the driveway, and I went over to the house to pray for this individual. So I knock on the door, and there's no answer. I'm like, okay, well, maybe they didn't knock hard enough. I know this person's in there, and the car's in the driveway. I'll knock a little harder. So there came a point when I'm just pounding on the door with, like, all my life. Because at this point, I'm upset. I'm like, look, I know they're in there. And I know that they know that I'm outside because they can definitely, the neighbors can hear me knocking. And so what I'm going to do, I have this bright idea. I'm going to go around to the back of the house. And I knew they had a sliding glass door. And I thought, sliding glass doors are not, I mean, the locks on those things. Look, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can rip the door off the lock. Right? Now, just so, you, just so you're aware, this is not a woman, okay? I'm not, I'm not doing, this is not like a lady in the church. I'm going to go break in her house. Like, that's, it was a guy, okay? It was a dude. And uh, I thought, you know what? I'd be like, hey, I'm sorry I broke into your house, but look, you're avoiding me. I'm angry. I want to pray for you and minister to you. So as I'm walking around to the back of the house, and so I, I'm like, I'm going to break into this person's house, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them, dang it. They need, know, they need to know that I care about them. I remember that they had a dog. So I'm like, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> so I went back around and kept knocking on the front door. They finally answered the door. But here's the thing. Me breaking into their home to pray for them, right? As much as in my mind I think this is what they need, right? They kn- they don't know how much they need Jesus right now, and I do, and I'm going to break into your home, I'm going to rip your, your glass door off, of the, off the hinges, and I'm going to, I can do that. I'm pretty sure I'm strong enough to do that, okay? That would not be caring and loving them in the way that they need to be cared and loved in that moment. That was how I perceived they needed love. That wouldn't be a blessing to them. The same goes for the way in which we care for one another in the church. It's not just in the way that I think they need to be loved. And that's where this connection is so important. Because the connection says, look, I'm close enough to you 
that I know that I'm, as, I'm, as we're dialoguing, as we're talking, as we're, as we're communicating with one another, as we're asking questions, as we're praying together, that God is, God is helping me to care for you in the way that is a blessing to you and is, that honors the Lord in a way that doesn't intrude upon you or come stomping in through the, the, the sliding glass door in the back of your house. That's why staying connected is so important. We can't do that from a distance. We can't do that from a way that's just kind of this like random kind of jumping in and jumping out whenever we feel like it. That's why these verses are so vital for us as God's people. Because in this, God is saying, look, I don't ju- it's not just that you care for each other this way. It's like you care for each other this way because I've cared for you this way. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done for you. I'm not empowering you to do anything that I haven't already come to you and, 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 and met you where you were at and loved you in the way that you needed to be loved and cared for you in a way that is, is a blessing, that honors the Lord, that, that loves the Lord in the midst of all of this. And that's what God is calling you and I to do. And because of the level of complexity of, of mental illness and, and all the spectrum and severity of it, it's dangerous for us to come in and to start lobbing grenades at people. Oh, you just need to go see this person or go talk to this person or you should pray this prayer. Or It means for us staying connected the way that God has designed his body to work. It is a beautiful thing. And I know as I even say this, people in this church have been hurt by a body who should have been caring for you and it hasn't happened. It breaks my heart. Going forward, though, I want us, I want us to to realize these verses and begin with all of our hearts to ask the Lord to help us. Because that is where our comfort comes in the first place. The comfort by which we can comfort other people and in any other distress is the same comfort that we've received from the Lord. That is why we need to go to the Lord together. So what does this mean for us this morning? Number one, that we value the ministry of the Holy Spirit through God's people in His family. This isn't just a ministry done by professionals. This is you and I. This is all of us together being the body. As this verse calls us out to do, this is you and I loving and caring that way. And really in doing so, we're just a, we're a conduit for the, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Spirit working through us and in us to care for one another. And secondly, God recognizing that God is the great comforter. That no matter how much I have been disappointed or hurt by the church, as real as that is, that God has never disappointed or forgotten about us. God has always been faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, he, He remains faithful. And He has promised to us in His Word that He will remain faithful in everything that we go through. This morning, we're going to close in prayer. And 
as we do that, we're, I'm going to ask the Lord to help us. Because this isn't something that just, okay, we just go and do it. This has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and birthed within us not only a desire to do this, but also the, the strength to do it. This is supernatural. This is not natural care and love. This is a supernatural reality that we're talking about. So we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. Then I want to encourage you. The people in your life that you know are in distress, that you would see yourself as God's agent, as God's body to care for those people in your lives. But also, if you are the person who's like, that, that's me, I'm in distress, then we're going to ask the Lord to give you the boldness to, to talk to others, one another about it, to be vulnerable, and ask the Lord to help us. So, Lord Jesus, we pray. God, we, we come before your throne right now, Lord Jesus, and we ask for your help. Lord, we ask for your help because we recognize as we read these scriptures that it is impossible for us to, to ever live this out on our own. Jesus, through the cross, you've made a way for us to not only live in relationship with you and receive your comfort, but Lord, you've filled us so that we can be, go and be that same comfort for other people in any distress. God, help us to be the body like that. Help us to walk forth in what you've called us to. Lord, I also pray for strength for each one of us, knowing people in our lives who are experiencing the various troubles we've talked about, Lord. I pray that you would give us the love and the grace and the comfort necessary to meet them where they're at. God, I also pray for those, those of us who are experiencing distress ourselves, God, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to make those things known so that we could receive the ministry of your Spirit from one another. In all these things we pray, Jesus. Amen.